We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. All right, welcome inside the freshest edition of the Permission Granted Podcast, everybody. PGP number 106, which is always available on iTunes. Simply go to iTunes, search Permission Granted Podcast. You'll see our four ugly mugs. You can subscribe for free. Every single episode is available there. It's also available on our webpage, daoncbs.com, which if you're looking for all of our interviews, links to all of our segments, the PGP, my columns, Coming up in football, the Up the Gut blog by Mraz, also awards winners for college football. It's always there. Football food of the week recipes. DA on CBS.com is the website. DA on CBS.com. So good job by you last week, Mraz, having not one, not two, but three in-studio guests. You know I love the in-studio guests, and we hit the trifecta last week. Yes. Well, as noted, boy, am I, am I sounding a little poppy, or is that my headphones there? No, you're fine. Okay, that was my headphones. As I have noted in the past, on the Permission Granted pa- Podcast and on the show, you've run, uh, I would say, as a head coach, if you will, in the DA show, a yes. very typical pattern. Mm-hmm. Whenever you fill in on the Gottlieb show or whether, you, whether you're off for a couple weeks— I know now as a veteran on the DA show, and I find it's my job to bring along a young guy like Jolton Joe D'Aluizio, if you will, right. to be ready because you're on the lookout to to catch us napping, to to make us feel like we weren't uh, properly prepared for your return. Because I've poked my neck in, I poked my nose in when either Moore is in or Kincaid is in on the ISDN line. You oftentimes don't have my fill-in host even in the studio. Right. And let's face it, you guys kick the legs up, kick the feet up, put them on the countertop. Don't have to do as much work. There's certainly no bells and whistles like we usually have. And you guys get a a little bit of a, um, it's like a preseason game for you. I would say things get a little more lax in show uh-huh. because we don't have the presence of somebody right in front of us. They're usually talking down an ISDN line, uh-huh. so that's all fair. But I, I want to make it noted that while I am sitting there and I'm producing for a Chris Moore, for a John Kincaid, while you're in for the Doug Gottlieb show, I am actually actually feverishly at work looking ahead to potential guests for the next couple weeks for when you return. And therefore, in that state, I was able to book three in-studio guests and take care of it all, in essence, to make sure, hey, DA's coming back. Let's not have him catch us napping. Let's give him what he wants. And I was I would have shot for one, but I threw out a bunch of fishing lines, and I got three. So that was all a master plan to try to, you know, keep ownership at bay, if you will. Yeah. And, and let's not get off to a rocky start after yeah. the summer of Gottlieb. You didn't want a one-and-three start in the first month. Ownership would have been very unhappy at that point. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to give you props because I really enjoyed the three in-studio guests we had last week. And Lisa Ramos, now friend of the show, her second stop around, was really great. I was totally caught off guard that she had legit 
football food recipes. Oh, my God. I mean, she God. really had legit recipes. She actually, unless she's the best faker of all time, the best phony of all time, I think she's a really good cook. I got that impression, too. And I don't think she was lying because I've tried to Google some research on some of that stuff, like the fried egg on the cheese fries. Yeah. And I've seen others have done it, but she really spoke of it very highly like she had perfected it. Uh, even the upside-down pizza. I give her props because she's given me a lot of material because now this will be my fourth year of Up the Gut coming up here. And there there will inevitably be some retreads back from season one or season two that I've used that, you know, hey, maybe people have forgotten about the recipes. You can only come up with so many football recipes year in and year out. But now she's, you know, breathed new life into me and, and given me recipes that have never appeared before on the blog. And it's really opened up a whole new window. And, and you know, just because you see an upside down pizza, yeah, that'll probably appear at one time. But that could lead to something else that I had not thought of. Yeah, she got real creative, the upside down pizza. The fried egg on gravy fries or cheese fries oh, or whatever. Mama. Also, she was talking about making that Dominican sauce. Yeah, and it was the, like the a, chimichurri sauce. Yeah, it was like lime and garlic and hot pepper or something like that. It she sounded, knows how to play with the fruit and spices. She, I mean, she really, and it's it's pretty amazing because, I mean, she's obviously like five foot five maybe shorter and you know a hundred pounds i mean dripping wet she is thin she's in amazing shape she's obviously beautiful and she eats like the biggest chubbo of all time she eats like the biggest slob now from that standpoint because i i like lisa obviously i have a i have a relationship with her dating back to college classmate in college okay does that annoy you or does that or are you just in awe of that i'm just in awe I'm just in awe. I mean, I just, I guess some people have remarkable metabolisms or physiques or digestive systems. If she's telling the truth and she eats like that all of the time and she says she doesn't work out and she looks like that, I mean, how can you do anything except tip your cap? To yeah. me, it's like it's, when, it's frustrating though as a chubbo. It is because you work so hard just to lose five pounds. Yeah. And, you know, this girl is, you know, sucking down three, you know, milkshakes a night and then boom there she goes she was talking about eating the cold stone and putting everything on cold stone she she, okay so she again she's in incredible shape she says and i have no reason to not believe her that when she went to in and out burger and she posted a picture of this on her instagram she got two huge double patty cheeseburgers from in and out and a giant thing of fries that were loaded topped And she says she ate it all within three hours. And I don't care if it takes you two days. That's got to be like 1,500 calories. And it went nowhere. Where did it go? Right. That's unbelievable. Right, right. I, I, I think I mean, I'm just jealous. It's, to me, it does, it's not fair. To me, it's just like Jordan hitting the shot over Craig Eli. <laughs> you just tip your cap. It's just an incredible... What can you do? I guess, you know, certain people are physically gifted. Like, me and you were never cut out to play in the NFL. We no. were never... No matter how hard we worked, we no. were never cut out for that. No. And maybe I was just never cut out to be as thin as Lisa Ramos, and and she just is. That's a natural gift. She said she ate pizza at least for one meal for two straight months. And didn't get sick of it. 60 straight days. Do you think you could do that? No. No, even as a chubbo, I need a little variety. Yeah, I can't imagine eating pizza every day for two months. Put it, put it this way. Forget eating at home. Uh, whenever I eat out, let's say, like I get Chipotle. I've made a big fan of Chipotle, as noted on the show. I get yes. that maybe once every two weeks. You know, I probably could eat it every day, but I don't. Eventually, you get sick of it, right? Yeah. Eventually. Of course. That's amazing. And she says she actually was the thinnest she's ever been after those two months. 
How is that possible? It just goes to show you pizza really is a vegetable. It's got that serving with the tomato sauce. It really does. <laughs> Maybe. I. She is a freak of nature. I mean, it's it's kind of like, let's see. I was just reading uh, a story about somebody that was just kind of a na- – it's a little bit like Usain Bolt. You're like, well, nobody has that natural gift. I mean, Lisa Ramos just can eat pizza for two straight weeks. So she's the Usain Bolt of eating. Perhaps. Of, of at least pizza. Do you think next year we should get Booker, Lisa Ramos, <laughs> uh, Shanna from the Gotham City Cheerleaders, myself, and we have a big, big old eating contest next year? We break out the DA show in studio. Yeah, I like Eating, uh, you know, all-stars, if you will, and kind of like turn this. into an all-star eating event. I like this a lot. Anybody who's talked about eating and acted like a big shot of eating, well, you know what? Chips are on the table. Everybody get in studio. Let me ask you this football question. You say we were never cut out to play in the NFL. Of course, I, I agree with you. If you committed your life to football, mm-hmm. you worked out, you ate what you needed to eat, whether that's a lot of calories or not a lot of calories, you were always in the gym, you had ultimate coaching. From the time you were 10 years old, you had committed to football, football, football. What position and at what level do you think you would top out? I think I could play either one of the guards or at center on the offensive line. Okay. Because I'm a little shorter to be a tackle. Yeah, do and you think at 5'10", you could play on the offensive line? I think I could. I think I could play a little guard. I think I'm a little too slow to play along the defensive line. I don't think I have the quick burst, if you will. Okay. I think I'd be a short. So that from that standpoint, I would say I could play at a not-so-good team, Division One, AA in college football. Okay, so a non-FCS playoff team. Yes. So like an FCS, middle of the road, I don't know who that might be. Right, and I'm playing left guard for them. Left guard. A Probably n- as a backup. So like not a, not a North Dakota State. Not a, No, 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 no. Uh, I mean, I can't even think of a school. But, uh, you like, know. let's say Richmond. I don't know if Rich, Old Dominion. Okay, I'm a left guard on Old Dominion in in a <laughs> battle for dear life in camp to start. I think that's where I top off okay. that. I, and I think that's being fair. I'm not trying to, to, to gloat. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Um, I oftentimes think about this. I would have leaned towards wide receiver. I think, you know, s- small, diminutive, white, uh, speedy slot receivers where I would probably Poor go. man's Brandon Stokely. Yeah, something like that. Um, and I, maybe I could walk on to Louisiana Monroe, you know? <laughs> okay. May, but I, I don't think... Really earn your keeps as a special teamer? I'll tell you this. We had in my high school a receiver that was kind of built in my mode who got a scholarship to play at Lafayette. Oh, wow. Okay. That might be Division three, two or three, not one double-A, I don't right. think. And he would have he was much stronger and taller than me. So I don't think I could have gotten a scholarship to Lafayette. Um, maybe today with technology, you get your videos out there more. But I think, you know, I could walk on somewhere or maybe scholarship to a Division two school and be, you know, your slot guy. So who better to get your football opinions <laughs> with this entire season than myself and you, who couldn't even dedicate ourselves to get to that point? <laughs> Do you think that you could get a CFL tryout? No. No. No, because I actually know a kid who was in the town over that ended up playing at West Virginia, ended up being a backup on the defensive line in the CFL. And I ended up seeing him later on in the flag football world, and he destroyed me. So to even get a CFL tryout. Really? Yeah. yeah. And like that's a guy who could barely hack it in the CFL. And when I tell you, I mean, I had rug burn on my buttocks facing him. 
in flag football, not even with the pads on, no shot. Could you walk on to Arkansas State? <laughs> no. No, I don't yeah. think I could. I don't think I could. I think if I played and I earned a starting job and I and I, I got all that, let's say, at Richmond or whatever school we're going with. Old Dominion. Old Dominion, right? Do I think if if... For instance, where I live, Long Island was having an open tryout for an arena football league team, uh-huh. uh, Arena 2, if okay. you will. Uh-huh. Do I think I could maybe, at that point, get a sniff if I worked hard enough in college beyond the high school stuff, maybe get a sniff? Maybe. Maybe. Like, could you get, let's say you had two years, no, no, let's say you graduated in four years and you had a graduate year left. Could you be in the mix at UTEP? I'd like to think I'd work hard <laughs> enough too, but I mean, come on, there's no way. UTEP's still pretty respected. Yeah, to, I mean, they, they can make a bowl. Yeah, like if I worked my tail off and I had four years at Lafayette, could I have a great? <laughs> I mean, what are we doing? As a slot receiver, could I get a graduate year at Hampton? No. <laughs> could well, I? Let, by the way, let's just let's just take all things into account here. We played together on a flag football team that went three and five in the worst division on Long Island, the lowest level of play. Yes, I don't think that's necessarily fair though, because because we're saying if we dedicated our whole lives. Yeah, we, to it. we weren't committed at all. Besides showing up on Sunday mornings and the best and part eating of, an egg sandwich ahead of time. Yeah, and and the the way that we were committed amongst uh, beyond everybody else was that we weren't hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We didn't work out. We had, didn't practice. We didn't do anything. I would, Plus, I, I, I'm 30. I was at that time at 35, 36. Now I'm 37. I mean, that's way past my prime as well, athletically. I would, I would say if we were able to work hard enough, we would have. You know what I mean? Like we're playing the <laughs> yeah, what if game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the chips fell the way they fell Rode because they were meant to fall. to fall that way. <laughs> I don't think I'm looking back at my life going, man, I really should have busted in the gym in ninth grade and I really could have been playing deep. At that point, I mean, who cares? It's, you know? I don't I'd know. I'd much rather be sitting here in a, in a chair watching games and talking about it. I think the issue is we could have probably still been doing this. <laughs> I guess, had we I, actually committed ourselves and probably in much better shape yeah. at the time you know maybe I would still have hair yeah probably not but you know, <laughs> chips I, fell where they may with that too I think about this like when I was growing up the, the extent my natural athletic gifts the highest level that took me was the all-star team in sixth grade in soccer I was a goalie I was a keeper I was getting no uh extra coaching my parents weren't pushing me they didn't even really know the rules of soccer so it was just like coaches were like you're good enough in this town you'll be on all-stars and at that point I was like okay and I wasn't working on my craft I mean I was practicing as a sixth grader and at that point once I played JV in seventh and eighth grade and maybe ninth then I realized everybody's athletically way better than I am so I'm just right I'm bailing I oftentimes think if in seventh grade I had the best elite coaching and somebody picked me out and was like, you know what, you've got natural skills, let's work on you. And my parents were like, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. What would have been my potential? Now, as you said, the chips fall probably because I wasn't naturally gifted enough to where anybody actually identified me to say this is worth working on. Right. <laughs> right, but it it does sometimes leave me wondering what would have been my athletic potential if coaches wanted to coach me and I was pushed into doing it. I feel that way with another sport, not with football. Okay. Hockey. You've always said this. Okay. Now, it may shock you, and and I think I'm being transparent here because I just told you what my max probably could have been in football. 
I was a very good hockey player on feet. Roller hockey. On feet and on rollerblades. Deck and roller, okay? A uh, little bit of a bigger body. I was excellent at winning face-offs. So I could play How a li- could you know if you're good at hockey without rollerblades or skates? I'm, I'm getting to this. Okay. Oh, I played on roller. I played roller hockey, too. Yeah, and no, I was but what's deck? Deck is running around. You're playing hockey on you know, your what feet. What kind of skills do you need for that? Well, all all your hand motion, stick handling, all of that still comes into play. It's okay. just not on the... Believe me, don't don't sleep on deck hockey. Uh, I, I had a scoring touch. I was a grinder against the boards. Uh, I was gritty. I could have been a fourth liner or I could have been... A, I was excelled on defense as well. Okay. I actually had a lot of skills on this. The problem was my parents never really had the money to put into me being an ice hockey player. Okay? Expensive. Expe- extremely expensive to play. And time-consuming. Time-consuming. Now, every time I laced up skates, to this day, you could bring me to an ice rink, and and my wife will make fun of me more than anybody. My sisters make fun of me more than anybody. I get out, and I'm like Apollo Ono on the ice. For a big guy, I can move. I can motor. Interesting. Uh, I'm pretty elegant on skates, and I could fly around. Now, knowing my hockey skills rollerblading-wise and knowing my hockey skills deck-wise, if my parents had had the money, and Long Island, a lot of Long Island ice hockey players, there's good coaching, there's good scouting— I firmly think I at least could have had a taste in the minor leagues had I had the proper coaching from the time I was in junior high on and had the money invested where I could have played ice hockey. Ju- you think you did junior college hockey? Yeah, I think, and I think eventually I could have parlayed that to at least a taste in the minors. I really do. I really do believe that. Now, you look at me now and I'm a gluttonous pig. Obviously, that would have come with the proper coaching, the proper nutrition, right. and the proper workout regimen and stuff like that. But I'm talking about like if I started playing ice hockey in, let's say, seventh grade. Uh, I had the stick handling to go with it, and I know I could grind it out. And I, I did enough, and I played against enough, you know, really good ice hockey competition who were playing rollerblade, rollerblading too. And I and I stood out. I played very well. I, parents just didn't have the money to put me through the ice hockey stuff. And I really do believe that was probably the one area where I probably could have turned some heads. I'm not saying I would have been starting at center for the Rangers, but a taste in the minor leagues I think could have been possible. Interesting. So, like, you could have latched on with the Rochester Amherst. Right. And no, maybe, that's too high. I'm telling maybe that's a fourth AHL. line. I think I could have played in the AHL as a fourth line. Maybe the IHL, right? Isn't that a step oh, below the Oh, that's like AHL? Iowa, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's some form of that, I could have been on a fourth line somewhere there. Houston Arrows. Get me to Houston. Let's go. <laughs> I, I don't listen. It sounds crazy, but I'm talking about like, I would have to be by seventh grade. My parents invested the money. I'm going to play ice hockey. I'm getting the good coaching. I'm getting yeah. the proper nutrition. I'm not having Chinese food every Friday yeah. and stuff like that to go with because I actually had natural skills with my wrists and all this with a hockey stick. And I knew, and I was very smart hockey wise. I had very good hockey instincts. And I think if I put that together with the right coaching and right nutrition and all that, a taste in a minor league or minor league somewhere, I think, could have been possible. Well, it's interesting because our boy Taylor Velopoulos, is it Velopoulos? Or yes, Velopoulos? North Carolina, yeah. yeah. He is a fan of the show, and he was a four-year, I believe a four-year uh, walk-on uh, and played special teams and some receiver for UNC Tar Heels football. Yep. Now, I don't think he ever had a scholarship. I think he was always walk-on. Walk-on, yep. But he's not much taller than you or I. No. He's slender, but he's obviously very muscular. He's muscular for his size. Danny Amendola-like at that level. Yeah, yeah. Now, he said he's played mainly specials. Right. Right, and might have played a little bit of receiver as well. Yeah, he got some sniffs as a fourth receiver or whatever in some looks. Now, that's at an ACC school that just went to the ACC championship game last year. Right. Um, And I think about, you know, that existence, now he's not going to go into professional football. He wants to go into broadcasting, etc. But that is a really cool experience that he got because how many of us can say, I know what it took to like play at division? 
he maxed out athletically. Yeah. Absolutely maxed out. And that's a pretty cool story, even if he was only on specials. He's going to, at some point, have kids down the line and be able to tell his kids, oh, yeah, I played with Eric Hebron. You know what I mean? Like, and have that kind of yeah. that kind of story to tell. And I think that's pretty cool. You know, if you didn't have the natural gift, if you will, to make the NFL, that's still a pretty good story to look back on and say, you know what? I worked hard and I did this. Man, if only I was a slot receiver at Hobart. <laughs> 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 All right, so you're, you're doing a lot of the night of breakdown next. Yeah, yeah, we got Joe, D, and we got James. Uh, there's so much to get into in the night of finale. We're going to find out what each of us thought of that on a grade from 1 to 10 and what each of us would have changed with the finale and really just dissect it. So it was a show that's, you know, dominated our Permission Granted podcast the whole summer, so we got we got to wrap it up here. I gave it a 7 or an 8. Okay. I didn't think it was a 10, but I thought it was very true to the series. They didn't go for any gotcha moments. They didn't throw you for a loop and try to do something splashy. It was understated. It was smart. Um, and it played out in a smart, level-headed, kind of um, thoughtful way. And for that, I appreciated it. They didn't have to go bonkers with any you know crazy plot twists or anything. No, I think I, I totally agree. I, we're going to get to a lot of that. but It left me a little dissatisfied because I walked away going, oh, boy, I invested all that uh, time. And I was waiting for, I guess I was waiting for the whoa moment, jaw on the ground moment. And they didn't write the jaw on the ground moment. They gave you closure, which I liked. They gave you closure, but I thought the jaw on the ground moment is they give you a killer that nobody was suspecting. Maybe. But when it all pieced together, it kind of made so much sense, which... But but I want that. I want it to make sense. I don't want it to be not realistic. I agree. It makes sense, but it wasn't like a woe out of nowhere. Okay. All right. I think that's all fair. But again, one thing I stated on last week's Permission Granted podcast, and I'll say as we wrap up on this one, I didn't want to be sitting at the Thanksgiving dinner table this year debating whether Nas did it or not, and I got that out of the way. We didn't want a Sopranos moment. No. Didn't want to give me closure, and I got closure. Okay. There it is. Side B of Permission Granted podcast right now. All right, welcome into side B of the Permission Granted podcast. I'm your executive producer of the DA Show, Sean Mraz, joined by two associate producers of the DA Show, Jolton Dole, Joe D'Aloisio, I don't know why I call them Doe, and James Ward is on the phone. Hello, boys. Hello, boys. I guess I'm going first, huh? Uh, Boy, that was awkward. Oh, Joe, can we step up to the plate here and say something? I thought James I mean, was going first. Jeez, at least guys. You guys can make eye contact. I'm just kind of sitting here waiting for someone to talk, but <laughs> I'll go first. Glad to be a part of it. Uh, so happy to be included from my bedroom in my apartment. That's always good. Now, I should preface this before Joe really gets cooking here. Uh, we're going to do our entire side B here, James and Joe, as you know, and for our listeners, on the night of, because the show we have been talking about on the Permission Granted podcast for basically all summer has come to a conclusion. So rather than cram it all in in 8 to 10 minutes, we're going to hammer this out here over the next 15 to 20. However, at some point towards the end, if you don't hear Joe D'Aloisio's voice anymore, it's because we're doing real live taping of a podcast, and he has to contribute a Doug Gottlieb CBS Sports Minute. So we have Joe here for now, and for hopefully as long as we can. So that is, if you hear any awkwardness at the end, that is full disclosure. Joe, correct? That is correct. So if I just randomly disappear, you know where I am and what why I've left the Permission Granted podcast this week. So Night Of fans, if you're listening and if you've caught on to this Permission Granted podcast, please don't exit us here as we have plenty to give you during football season and we have a lot of fun on this podcast. But we have to discuss this show and the finale that was. Now, real quickly, I'm going to go around the table and ask you for a grade of 1 to 10 on the finale itself, not the series. I'll go James, grade of 1 to 10. I will go with a 6. 
Ooh, okay, Joe. I'll go eight. I gave it a 10 out of 10. Okay, all right. So that there, now we know we've, we planted the seed. Everybody didn't hate it for judging by a grade because we all gave it above average. And progressively, we all liked it more than others. James, you have the floor. What didn't didn't you like about the finale of the night off? I will say this, and this, I thought this, and then I read an article review on Deadspin, and I couldn't oh, agree with it more. Here we go. There was so many smart people doing dumb things. We talked about it last week. I really hated the love story angle. There was no reason sure. for Chandra to get romantically involved with Nas. And then that, they furthered it with her having to smuggle drugs into prison for him. That is Absolutely, it would never, ever, ever happen. She is a prestigious law lawyer at one of the biggest firms in New York. She's way, way too smart to even get romantically involved with Nas, much less smuggle crack into prison with him. That part made me completely, like, I was sitting there, I was like, I really are we doing this? Are we doing this? Huh. I don't, it's, uh, and then you know that they were setting it up for for John Stone to be the hero at the end and have this plea of Nas's innocence. And they just couldn't come up with a better way of doing it than having Chandra have to be excused because of her relationship with Nas. And that, like, again, that plot, we've seen it before. Like, I thought it's very American. It's very American. Yeah. But like, how many times do you see this lawyer do this, like, impassioned plea of innocence and like, please believe my client. We, you know, we did all this. We sh- proved all this. Please listen to me. Like, how many times have we seen that? I thought the show was better than that. Hmm. I liked kind of the twists and turns, but those two angles I really didn't like. And to be honest, it's closer to a five than a seven. I know I said a six, but Interesting. It's, a little, it's closer to a five than a seven. Joe, before you go, if I can argue that point, because this is a point that's been argued in our newsroom. Yes, as we should be talking about sports in the newsroom. Everybody in the newsroom here at CBS Sports Radio had an opinion on this show. I, too, read the Deadspin article, and I'm going to be the first to say it. I thought the article was trash. Okay, and I, and I get everybody harping on the Chandra thing. I think if you followed Chandra's character from that scene in the bar with, with Stone where she mentioned just breaking up, with, breaking up with the boyfriend to, I think, as an audience, we, we look at this young lawyer and we go, oh, look how smart she is. Where in reality, we have to remember where we came from with Chandra, which is she was a nobody working in a lawyer's office where the boss didn't even know her name. And because of her ethnicity, uh, ethnicity, ethnicity, she was she was brought on into this case. And I think we all just assumed Chandra was better than that. When in reality, this was a girl going through a breakup, obviously falling for Nas and, and kind of the power that came with him. And I think she was so vulnerable to do something stupid that we turn around and go, oh, lawyer, no way she'd do that. When in reality, this was a lawyer that probably was never ready for that kind of case and that kind of commitment. And her boss probably knew that or or she would have been higher thought of to begin with. And the only reason she was in there is because of who she was and where she came from and her background. So, so I think, And, and I, I, I just remembered something that happened in the show that I didn't really think about before. Chandra's drunken night when she went out with Stone and he essentially cuts her off from the bar. Right. I think that might have foreshadowed this a little bit. Yes. But and that kind of made me okay with the romantic involvement, but like the drug mule, that's a little bit too much. 
it just showed that she was willing to do anything to help help the client. She sacrificed her whole life. And I think there's more tentacles that, that I'll mention in a sec. But I want to make sure we get Joe's thoughts because he gave it an 8 out of 10, which means he didn't think it was perfect either. So what didn't you like about it, Joe? I just think it's hard giving anything a perfect score. I think there's always flaws in something. So that's probably the main reason why I didn't give it a 10. I will disagree on one thing that James brought up. Uh it seemed as if he was a little bit upset with how uh, Stone pretty much saved the day and stepped into that role. Mm-hmm. I'm actually glad that that happened. I wanted to see that happen because realistically, you saw the life that Stone has and how difficult and how, but how much effort he, how put much it, stress he's under, how much stress he's under on a daily basis, and and you know that he's not respected. You get that early on in the show, and for him to come out and eloquently work on this case. I think it just shows it just shows the development of his character throughout and despite being like a you know a renter lawyer pretty much this guy had showed that he had the potential to to uncover something and he knew from the start what he was getting into so I had no problem with him coming in and saving the day and like I said I don't really I gave it an 8 out of 10 just because uh I didn't want to give it a ten, really. There, so you didn't, re- you didn't really dislike much. I didn't. I didn't dislike much. No, there's nothing that I could be like. Oh, you know what? I hated that part. Um, the one thing that I disliked about that final episode was we all saw Dwayne Reed just reappear at the stand. Right. I wanted to know a little bit more about Dwayne Reed. I, maybe a flashback of how he ended up back in jail. That's the one thing that really like annoyed me because he just disappeared. You didn't see from him. You thought you you knew you were going to see him again. But I thought it would have been uh, portrayed a little better. Okay, now I gave it a 10 out of 10 for the finale itself. If I could have one knock at all, if I'm picking one, why did we waste our time in the beginning of of episode 7, the episode before last week, with that scene with the other body stabbed up that ended up meaning absolutely nothing, unless I'm missing something? I'll, t- it, I'll tell you that, because we talked about this last week, I think. I think it was more about the, the Muslim you know, sort of racist people in in New York because they made it like they p- pointed out a little bit of the racism that Nas's family was under and like, right. you know, the, the tabloids and the newspapers and all that stuff. So I think that was more that there wasn't, you know, like a Muslim involved in the crime. I think that's what that was kind of positioning towards. Okay. Now, in past big shows, and I'm sure you guys have seen some that I haven't, and I've seen some that maybe you haven't, but I'm considering like like shows that a lot of people watch, whether it be HBO, Showtime, AMC, that have seen finales in recent years, whether it be The Sopranos. A lot of people complain about The Fade to Black. I actually didn't mind that I liked it. Breaking Love Bad. The Sopranos final. Breaking Bad. A lot of people. I know, James, you're a big fan of the Breaking Bad finale. I personally felt a little empty and not knowing whatever happened to Jesse, but that was my tiff. But I get why people. a lot of people loved it. Uh, Dexter was a humongous show for a long time. I thought the finale was terrible. Uh, I mean, and even if you want to go the sitcom route, Seinfeld's a very memorable show. Not a lot of people like that finale. I think what I liked about the night of finale is, you know, where where whether it was Dexter or The Sopranos or heck, even Breaking Bad, where they at least left something up for, for interpretation. There was nothing to be left up for interpretation. I invested eight weeks, and I got an answer. I got a whodunit. We got the killer. We got the pictures. Uh, essentially, do we get a stabbing scene? No, but they tell you this is who did it. We got a Nas being free, and we didn't get a happily ever after because now Nas is our relationship his mother strained he's a drug addict and and basically i think the show kind of had tentacles and, and this has to do with chandra's character and and nas and the family and all this is is how the justice system worked against nas in this situation and how many people's lives were negatively affected and or ruined 
because of one incident like this. And I think I think that was really an endgame. So I think the finale did a great job of encompassing everything that like that and leaving us with no questions left to be answered. I'll give you this. They they answered everything and it was one of the few finales in recent memories where you come away with it like, okay, I don't really have a ton of questions. For me, one of my all time favorite favorite shows is Lost. Okay. The Lost finale, it's like they they forgot, you know, fifteen different things that they introed. And again, th- that show was so long with so many episodes, and they introduced so many different topics that there was no possible way that they could answer every question. But they left so much, you know, unturned that it was it was hard to really take the finale seriously. Sopranos, I loved the finale. I thought that did a pretty good job of answering the questions, except for you don't really know what happens to Tony, but it, it gave you that kind of debate. The fade, fade to black made you actually think about what happened. Right. Break, Breaking Bad finale. Loved it. I was floored by the whole thing. I thought it was absolutely perfect. And I think that the questions with Jesse were, you know, what what happened to Jesse? I think that's okay. This one, I like that they answered all the questions, but I just think they kind of copped out with everything. It just, hmm. it just didn't feel complete to me. Like, I don't want the series to end with Nas, like, smoking crack down by the river. Well, they didn't that give you the happily ever after. That doesn't do it for me. Like, I don't want Box to be, like, a security guy at NYU. Like, that's – I know it kind of says a lot. Like, he did a really good job as an NYPD cop. He was a good detective. He retired with, you know, pension and whatever. And now he's – You wanted a Disney you know, movie at the end with everybody. Yeah, I guess so. Or I wanted, like, you know – Boy, wanted, that's a rough uh, take. I want. I wanted the the you know the financial guy to be rotting in prison or whatever. Like well, maybe you want a prison shot. I just and the, the stone monologue was just such a turnoff, man. It was just like really <laughs> like this guy is gonna be you know the the guy who saves the day. I thought Deadspin. And one more thing on that Deadspin piece. I thought the writer had a great line, essentially calling Stone Eczema Batman. Yeah, where he, where he like, runs into Dwayne Reed. That was a fair point, and we mentioned that on the yeah. podcast at the time. And then, he, and no, and the thing with the, the stepfather at the end, how he kind of corners it, like, yeah, all right, okay, he, he, I, we get it, we get it. You you have all these, like, herbal Chinese medicine, like, you got all this testosterone booster, so now you're you're confronting people in alleys to send them subpoenas for court, sure. So, I again, it, the more I think about it, like... Boy, it sounds like you're really, him yeah, you're really killing him right now. Because it was, it just could have been so much better. Ah, uh, you know, everybody's just going to pick up something. I know Joe has to run, so I want to get this question in real quickly, and I'll turn it to Joe first, and we'll spin it around the wheel. Because I thought a couple of my favorite scenes in the entire series occurred in this final episode. Joe, your favorite scene in the final episode. Oh, jeez. Putting me on the spot first? Well, I want to make sure you have enough time to do the sports minute here. Oh, I, I honestly can't even think on the spot right now. Um, okay. my, my, my Actually, okay, my final scene... It, my my favorite scene from this final episode is definitely him leaving Rikers because I think they did a, oh, a great so job of showing every little corner, every little exit that he was going, he was walking through. You felt like you were walking through the jail, and I like that they showed Freddie boxing because if you remember, you saw Freddie essentially kill someone right in jail boxing. I thought for a split second he was going back into that area and it was going to be the end of Nas. Oh, it was edge of the seat. Like nothing happened to him, but I was on the edge of the seat going, is he going to get shanked here on the way out? That sh- that scene was so well shot and so dramatic in the moment. I don't know if you felt the same way, Ward. That was the first scene that came to my mind, and I agree with you. I kind of thought he was going to get shanked because in my head, here's what was going on. I thought that the guard, 
the guard showed Freddie the security video of him getting drugs from his lawyer. And then I was thinking that maybe he didn't share the drugs with Freddie. And that was kind of like, like he was going to turn on him at the end. I thought something like that was going to happen. But the whole scene was just so beautiful. My favorite scene was also involving Freddie because Michael K. Williams, one of my favorite actors, I think he's not been in a lot of things, but like, his character in this and his character in The Wire are two of my favorite characters. He had a great. You he know, was great in this TV. show. Great. He was amazing, and the whole monologue of him, him and uh, kind of pouring his heart out to Nas in the prison cell, like, "Bro, you're my unicorn." Like that was just such an awesome moment. I loved pretty much every scene involving Nas and Freddie and all the stuff at Rikers. That was the stuff that I'm really going to take away from the show because I think that stuff was great. It it's just kind of the the trial stuff really lost me. Like I feel like it could have moved a little bit quicker, but everything involving Freddie and Nas in Rikers was an awesome scene. I agree. Now I think if I'm not going to go with the Rikers scene here, I think two scenes involving Box and Box really shined in in this season. And not that this show will never off, offer a spinoff the way you know Better Call Saul did with Breaking Bad. But if I had any character to pick, it wouldn't be the Eggsman with Totoro. It would be uh, you know maybe a, a preamble of Box and Box's career as a detective. I think because he was such a good actor. Uh, Bill Camp, I believe, is his name. But two scenes: number one, his walk out in the courtroom, which you saw Nas's mother do in an episode or two earlier, where Chandra tells her why that looks bad, and and you could tell Box was aware of how that would look and and how he sent the message to the district attorney. But also, I mean, Box following around the financial advisor and getting him in the casino bar like that was just—I thought that was awesome and it was brilliant the way he did it, where he basically tells him to sit the bleep down. Now, did you know when they showed the security footage? And you only saw the back of the the guy. Did you know who it was? Who was your guess as to who it was? My guess was it was going to be the stepfather. Yeah, that's one hundred percent where I was going. And then I was like, a kind of different build, like you know, lighter features, lighter hair. Who like it's not the same guy. Who is it? Right. Well, see that's see that's another reason I like this because. I was dead wrong. I thought it would be Dwayne Reed, and then I shifted to I thought the stepfather paid Dwayne Reed. And it's still kind of weird that the stepfather was kind of still scummy. You know what I mean? Like, he he doesn't look right in here, but he inevitably has nothing to do with it. But at least they didn't introduce a brand new character. Like, the financial advisor is the one who sent Totoro sniffing around on the stepfather. This financial advisor has been around, even if a smaller part for the last couple episodes, and it was a great twist. You didn't introduce a new character, and and we got him. We, uh, We thought it was excellent. So the other part that was unbelievable to me was how how uh, Box didn't investigate anything about where Andrea was before she got in the cab with Nas. Yeah, like, that's a little unbelievable to me. You know what? And but, I, like Box is this great detective. He's not going to look at where she was before she got in the cab. I heard I've heard that argument um, from uh, Jay Berman has said that out in the newsroom, and I believe Joey Waller actually said the same thing. And I guess I'm going to stand up for the show here, and I'm going to defend it a little bit. I think if you look at the whole premise of the show, one of the premises was how the justice system can work against you and everything like that. And I think you saw a detective that, although he was a good detective, was retiring, basically had the bloody knife on uh, who they believed to be the killer and didn't investigate it enough thoroughly because he felt like he had enough evidence. Although it would always throughout the series didn't sit well on his stomach that he never went back. But you got the feeling he was kind of half-heartedly into it at times because he knew he was retiring. And really, as as the time in the trial went on was where it really clicked with him that 
it's it is sitting bad with him. Like you know, as as everybody and he has the retirement party and everything, everybody's telling him, "What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now?" He realized, man, I've just been looking towards this retirement, and I I didn't look at this further. And I think that that kind of plays into it. If we had a non-retiring box, I wonder if the investigation would have been different. Yeah, I, but again, like the character of him was that he was this thorough, you know, super well-read. He knows everything about every crime. He's up to date on everything, and then he just didn't look at the security footage. A little bit of a stretch. I guess. I, I mean, I guess. But you know what? I think much like real life and, and real life arguments, when it comes to great shows, and I think that's part of the reason we do this podcast, or at least we've talked about this show on this podcast, nobody's ever going to be fully satisfied. Like I, In this case, I was, but you're always going to have these arguments, and, and I've heard plenty of arguments like you. It's if... I feel like if this show would have nailed everything you're looking for it to nail in certain ways, there would have been something else you would have ended up dissatisfied with. That's fair. Now, does it crack your top five? I know you were into it the whole whole series. It has to. It, every it has to. Night, you're very into it. So it cracks your top five. It has to from this standpoint, and I don't want to live in the moment. Twofold. I always look forward to The Sopranos, and a lot of these shows that I binge watch, I don't know that I, like even Breaking Bad, I don't know that I necessarily looked forward to every episode as much as I was just very into it. The night of, to me, was must-see TV every Sunday. Like, I was hyped up, I couldn't wait, it was as if I was watching a football game every night. And to the point on, I was sitting on the couch, I was watching my wife, my sister, and her boyfriend, they all came to my, well, my wife obviously lives there, we were all at the apartment watching, and... The scene at the end where where they're not going to follow through and do another trial for Nas and the district attorney says no, I actually jumped out of my chair and gave a fist pump. I have never, ever, ever in the history of my life done that watching a television show. Forget a you know sporting events, obviously, but a television show. So it was if, like the Plaxico Burris touchdown to win the Super Bowl. Right. So if I'm doing that and I'm that emotionally invested, I'm that much looking forward to it, and I'm having basically a viewing party, how can I then in turn look back in five years and go, it's not one of my top five? Because I've never been that way with another show in my life. Yeah, I think it doesn't crack my top five, and I don't think it's, it's not even up for debate. It just doesn't. And if you asked me how I felt about it, you know, three or four episodes in, I'd say there was a chance. It is not in the top five, not in the top ten. I just kind of think the last, the last episode sort of killed that for me, and I, it got less enjoyable as it kept going. But I was still really into it. I just, I can't. It didn't fulfill how I felt after episode one. Okay. I Listen, you, everybody's entitled to their opinion. So uh, we'll end the podcast with this. Five years from now, we're in the year 2021. There's been a million other TV shows that come out, in, you know, let's say, in that five-year stretch. Right. If somebody mentions The Night Of, will it be a, oh, yeah, I forgot about that show. It'll be a, oh, The Night Of was great. I think my reaction will be, a little bit better than True Detective because True Detective, the whole season I was in, and then the episode, the finale just killed it for me. Right. This I was in, and the finale was decent. So I think I was. Oh yeah, that show was pretty enjoyable. Kind of, kind of fizzled out towards the end, but I, it was an enjoyable show. I think that would be my reaction. But it it won't take like you'll you'll feel like in five years like. You'll remember right off the bat, not have to like scratch for. Oh yeah, what was that about again? Like it won't be one of those moments. No, no, I'll definitely remember everything that happened, and I will definitely be pretty into it. And I think a lot of it, the scenery has to do with it. It That show was so typical New York to me, too, yes. which is another one of the things I really liked about it. It's so typical New York City. 
Now, would you ever contemplate the rest of your life going back and rewatching now that you know what happened? No, I'm not a big rewatch guy. Like I've okay. watched, you know, some Sopranos episodes, but I've never rewatched anything from Breaking Bad. I've, ne- uh, you know, I've, I've watched a couple episodes from The Wire if I flip around HBO and I see it on. Uh, the Lost, I've actually Lost, I've actually rewatched a little bit, but I don't think there's rewatchability with this show because so much of it was the cliffhanger and what's going to happen next. Yeah, I don't and think how I don't adjust th- to certain things, but I don't know about rewatchability. I don't think you could like if this is like episode three is on HBO one day. Like I don't think you could just pick up one episode. I think this would have if you rewatch it, it's going to be all right. I'm going to start this series front to back, and maybe there's stuff I missed the first time around. Right, snow day. I got twelve hours to kill. Maybe I'll put the night of on. Right, see, right. See if I see if anything else stands out to me. Well, it's been one heck of a fun ride here this summer watching the night of. And I promise, next week, if you don't care about the night of, guess what's going to happen on the Permission Grader podcast? We're going to go back talking about me eating stuff and football Sundays and and whatever a the bit nonsense. Of football previews, right? Yeah. So next week, you see, the college footballs this weekend. We're going to have the awards winners at the end of the week here, uh, and I will have obviously next week week ones up the gut picks. So what we will do next week on the Permission Granted Podcast on Side B is Ward, even though we're going to be one week in the college football season, he's going to give you your college football playoff teams. He's going to give you a national championship game, a national champion, and a Heisman winner. Uh, and I'll give you my NFL playoff teams and a Super Bowl pick. And we'll get the football juices flowing, and that's, that's what's going to come your way next week on the Permission Granted Podcast. Sound like a plan, James? Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. All right. Well, thank you, Night Of listeners. If we've gotten anybody new to listen to the podcast, please stick with us. We, we offer plenty of nonsense, plenty of silliness. And if you like the way we dissect shows, you should really see the way we could dissect a hamburger because we do that a lot here on the DA Show and on the Permission Granted Podcast. You can follow Joe D on Twitter. He's already stepped away at Joe D CBS. You can follow James Ward, James. James Ward, CBS. And you can follow me at Miraz CBS. Thank you all for listening and have a great Labor Day weekend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.